Sans Pants Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network. So is this podcast. It's free to stream or download via Apple, Spotify, or whichever podcatcher you choose to use. Mm-hmm. My name is Cameron James, and I'm sitting opposite Alexei Toliopoulos, and the two of us are here together in a little film that we like to call Total Reboot. <laughs> and it is a film that is meta. Textual in a way, mm. because on this film, mm. we dare to discuss other films. Yes. It's kind of kooky. We talk about movies that are remakes, mm-hmm. reboots, or rip-offs, and nothing else. Yes, there may be some tangential chat-up. Sure, sometimes you we do tangent, it. we talk about other stuff from time to time, mm-hmm. but we really... Try to stay focused because yes. you're on your way to work or mm-hmm. you're chilling out at home. You're using whatever podcatcher you choose to use. <laughs> you're using yeah. it. And what are you using it for? To listen to a podcast. And if you're listening to a podcast and you've chosen Total Reboot, mm. you want something very specific. Yeah. You, you want movie talk. Movie talk and you want reboot talk. You want reboot talk. <laughs> and we are going to offer you that reboot talk today. Uh-huh. And I'm glad that we're talking about this special, special little film. Mm-hmm. Because, first of all, we've been talking mainly about Hannibal Lecter for the last month yes. or so. And it's nice to not be talking about him. Yes, you would hate to think about Hannibal Lecter much longer. I love those movies. <laughs> uh, for Some of those movies, rather. But I really never want to think about Hannibal for quite some time. No, I'm done for the time being mm-hmm. with Hannibal. We talked about You've Got Mail. Yes. Lovely little palate cleanser. Absolutely beautiful palate cleanser. We love you, Nora F. Oh, a sorbet between courses. Exactly. And this next course is something very exciting for me because it combines two great loves of this podcast. Wow. It combines movies with guns Mm -hmm. and eventually... Sir Brian De Palma. Yes, we do love Brian De Palma. Yeah, we've come to really greatly admire Brian De Palma. This is our last kind of doubleheader miniseries of the year. Mm-hmm. And it has been one that has been on our cards since freaking day dot. Since mm-hmm. we started this podcast about reboots and remakes. Because Brian De Palma's Scarface, the movie we're going to be talking about next week, is thought to be one of the great remakes of all time. Sure. And many of you might be thinking, huh? Wait. What are you? Are you? Did being they serious? just say? Are they being serial? 
Okay, let me get this straight. I've know both of these fellas as comedians and as film chat mm. guys. Could this be one of the examples where they decide to blend the two for humorous yeah. effect? This must be a joke. Are I'm they gonna pulling one over? Google on it. Let me just Google it. Click, 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 click. Okay. Oh, wait a second. Scarface You've... is a remake? Yes, Scarface is a remake of a classic golden age of the gangster picture movie called Holy Scarface also. Heck. Yes. And there's also a sequel uh, to Scarface. It's a video game. It's called yes. Scarface, The World Is Yours. And it is awesome. It starts three seconds after the film ends <laughs> and Tony Montana actually comes back from the dead. He wakes up in the fountain and he goes, Oh, hold on a second. I got to get all my old shit back. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know why I did scent of a woman Al Pacino <laughs> instead of Scarface Al Pacino. Hang on a tick. That means I'm single again, baby. Because <laughs> his wife and sister have just been killed. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to talk about the sister stuff. Mm, Very exciting. Absolutely. I can't believe we get to talk about it in this episode. Very exciting stuff. So I didn't know anything about this. Original film, mm-hmm. 1932 Scarface. Yeah. I knew that they'd taken the title. Yes. That's all I thought they'd done. <gasps> I really? thought they'd licensed the title because they liked it. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was uh, an adaptation. It's essentially an adaptation. And it's a fairly straight adaptation. It is pretty much not beat for beat, but like story point for story point. Mm. I would say the the kind of broad strokes of these films. Yeah, if you were if you're someone that just like re- somehow reads only the plot, mm. it's very similar. Yeah, so that was a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a surprise to me was that it is a Howard Hawks joint. Mm, yes, indeed, and. It's a double HH. Oh, yeah. Howard Hughes joint. Howard too. Hughes, the little grubby man in the tower yep. upstairs with his freaking urine and <laughs> jars all around. That might not be true, but it is extremely funny to picture. It's awesome. It is uh, an image that we have of Howard Hughes that mm-hmm. is based on a biography by Irvid Cliffing, yes. who is a famous fraud and fabulous who did not, in fact, interview. Howard Hughes at all it There is, is no research It is fiction It, it is, is fiction. a hoax It's a famous hoax It is a famous hoax That is not very well known As a hoax So yes. much so that Anytime you see Anything said about Howard Hughes Often they will refer to Urine in jars yes. Along fingernails they, Still to this day <laughs> Exactly The Simpsons did it Therefore it must be true <laughs> I even think In the freaking aviator Martin Scorsese's movie There might be pee in jars And there's at very least They have him with like Long hair and shit like that yeah. Like he's going to seed And he's Castle, mm. which is not true. Yeah, not true. No, he so that's was awesome. cool till the end. <laughs> he was he was hot and sexy all the way through. The very he was end. freaking Leo, baby. He was Leo, and now he's dead. Dude. Yeah, tragically, he's Leo decapitated, <laughs> which is the hook yeah. I'm trying to start. He's he like, did he get Leo decapitated. Unfortunately, <laughs> he got decapitated. Unfortunately, he got Leonardo decapitated. It's really sad. It's funny though. It is funny. It is funny. <laughs> So yeah, I thought this is one of those cases of like an old um, property mm-hmm. kind of being licensed uh, by the studio again, saying like we want to reuse this property, reuse the title, yep. and they've just used the name. Like that's happened before with like uh, lots of stuff. Yeah, mainly car movies like Fast, Fast and, and Furious. Furious. <laughs> <laughs> the Fast and the Furious, is yeah, and Gone like. in sixty seconds. Gone in sixty They're seconds. They're both examples of that. Yeah. Okay, you got me. So I've got two. <laughs> got so two I was right in saying mainly car, <laughs> mainly movies. car movies and the Love Bug. The Love Bug. That's true. Yeah. Is that? Mm, it's, it's been remade. Of, yeah, they did a remake of it, Herbie Fully Loaded, so kind of the same shit. So technically, most remakes are car movies. Most remakes are car pictures because they update cars every year. Yeah. 
Like, you know, a, you can't do a Ford Model A or whatever no. and re- drift that around. If I'm sitting here in the 21st century watching that In my Bronco? Bronco? In my no. white Bronco? <laughs> if I'm sitting in my white Bronco, I'm not going to be excited watching a Ford Model T no, thank zooming you. around, dude. I'm in my fucking new white Bronco and I'm speeding down the freeway away yeah, from the police. Exactly. I don't have time to think about the Model A. I'm doing drifts in a freaking Rexy, dude. Charging it up with <laughs> NOS. And then I go home, chuck on the TV. And I see a freaking Henry Ford pushing a car across a finish line. No way. No way. Not exciting. Real life is more Suck awesome. my donkey. Idiot, I'm not interested. Yeah, suck my freaking donk bag, dude. It sucks. <laughs> Blow out your beast hole and make a cool movie instead. Have you seen this movie before? I have seen Scarface before in my teen oh, years. I thought you were going to say in my dreams. In my dreams, I've seen Scarface before because I used to sleep beneath a Scarface poster. So yes, I would see Scarface in my dreams. He would enter them Freddy Krueger style and take me on adventures <laughs> in Little Miami. It was awesome. Oh my God. We got me and Scarface got a Cubano together in a dream. <laughs> That's awesome. Don't look at my sister (laughs) Don't you look at my sister I know she's beautiful But don't you look at her Don't look at her She's only for me She's only for me man (laughs) We're getting closer We're getting closer To doing a a good impression It's hard to Because I'm scared That we're not allowed to do it Mm, I know I I even think Al Pacino's borderline Not allowed to do it I don't think he was I think it's a little far Anyway we'll talk about that Next week But I had seen, uh, you know, I really fell in love with like the, the gangster films as a genre as a teenager, uh-huh. like deeply became, you know, it became the thing that I became obsessed with. I think a lot of that to do is to do with the idea that it is almost the first genre that is cinema. Because mm. it's uh, the gangsters, like, you know, while there were like organized crimes uh, in Italy and stuff back in the olden days, like pre cinema era yeah. in the 1800s. Back when and there was earlier, only like podcasts. When people only lived on myth spread by word. Oh, wow. Which is before the podcast. Stand up comedy. Fact. Yeah, stand up comedy. <laughs> when people used to do stand up comedy about <laughs> local gangsters in Sicily. But it is a really very much like a 20th century or like early late 19th century concept is like there is organized crime and gangsters. Mm. So it kind of starts beginning at the, at the same time as a dawn of cinema. And I think that it is the first cinematic genre, in my opinion, that is exclusive to cinema, apart from some shit ass books or whatever <laughs> and newspapers. But, uh, it, you know, a lot of the early pictures are crime films. They are Westerns. And I think Westerns eventually evolve into the gangster film mm. And in the 1920s, early 1910s, there's a few, like D.W. Griffiths made one, Raoul Walsh made one that he would go on to make more in like the golden era. But they eventually like gangster, gangster and mafia mania like really takes a hold of popular culture in America because of prohibition. Mm, and so because yeah. it becomes part of everyday life because there's a ban on alcohol and... Basically, people don't want to stop drinking. So people involved in organized crime become part of everyday life. Like if you are someone that wants a drink, you will have contact with criminals in this world Mm. at this time. You would know someone in that. And so it became very real, but also still quite romanticized because it was like almost like modern day Robin Hood type stuff Mm. of people like bringing in alcohol from Canada, bringing in alcohol from Mexico. And it really is an American genre. And it's, 
often to do with uh, migrants. It was all about like migrant cultures and diasporas. In its essence, it is a genre that is about the American dream because it is lo- often is about new Americans coming to the country with nothing and seeing the only way to move up in the world to achieve their dreams is to exploit capitalism that, that sure. rules them all. Yep. And they are that is the way to do it is through crime. Sure, the world is yours. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. Taking America for yourself, conquering the West. Mm-hmm. The final frontier, which is now space, yes, but used to be just America. Just America. And it would be incredible if there was a space movie like that. A space gangster movie? A space gangster movie. Okay. I'll buy it. Okay. Thank you. I'll buy it right now. <laughs> Write the okay. script. Okay. It's about a little guy called Scarface 120. <laughs> and he's a robot. Oh, I'm listening. <laughs> but uh, I think that is like where it's it starts in the 1930s, where hmm. it really like picks up between 1930 and 1932. There were 60 gangster movies made. Crazy. So this is Al Capone era, mm-hmm. uh, Bugsy Siegel era. Yes, Maya Lansky's, all of those. They're guys. famous. They're, they're like f- celebrity gangsters. They're all celebrities, and they're all funny, mm-hmm. and that's kind of why people like them. Yes, there's a charm <laughs> about them. They're there's in like the media. They're being interviewed. They mm-hmm. often have funny quips. People like references to like rubbing people out. And yeah, sleep with fishes and shit like that. It's very exciting. somehow it charms America. Absolutely. This movie is a pre-code movie. Yes, and I think that is what happens. Like in those first three years, there is like censorship going on in pictures. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like, you know, obviously America's at this point in time with prohibition. It's in this era of like moral upheaval and like laws coming down from above to like that are to keep America pure, if you will. And then... Uh, there's light censorship going on. Like this film is pre Hayes Code, mm-hmm. uh, but there is still censorship in this film. Well, did, from what I heard, the um, it was produced pre Hayes, but mm-hmm. it was released during the Hayes Code. Yes. So they add some things and change some things. There's quite noticeably a um, prelude at the start mm. of this movie that yeah. is one of the more on the nose yes. scrolls of text you could ever read. <laughs> Absolutely. So like the Hayes Code is like this, uh, like a moral Puritan thing of censorship in films to say that films should uphold like this morality. Mm. And I think that at this time, there were three gangster pictures that were pre-Hayes Code mm-hmm. and they uh, have gone on to become classics in some way or genre-defining. One of them is Little Caesar starring Edward G. Robinson. Uh-huh. And then that one, I think... I liked it a lot as a teenager. I rewatched it again probably a few years ago uh, at film school with an audience and it bombed so hard. Mm. I think it has... It's, you know, it's instrumental in creating this genre uh, to what we know today. Edward G. Robinson is incredible in it but it has aged very poorly. There's mm-hmm. two other examples that have aged much better. One of them is Public Enemy, which yeah. is direct... Is that Cagney? That's James Cagney, mm-hmm. and it is uh, what you would typically know as like a 1930s gangster movie where he's like, what do you hear? What do you say? Yeah. And that goes on to inspire a lot. The Sopranos is like deeply indebted to it because it's very much like a story about a mother and a son mm. in, in many ways. Um, and it's all about like the kind of like the the charm of a gangster. It's a rise and fall type movie. It's violent. It's exciting. And the other picture is Scarface. 
So, you know, in like the golden age of Hollywood, there's all, each studio has like their thing, their genre. Mm. And so, you know, MGM has musicals, Universal has the monster movies, like horror films. Warner Brothers has the gangster movie. Right. But Scarface is not Warner Brothers movie. It's a United Artists picture. So it's a little Mm. bit more independent. They were able to get away with way more stuff. And I think it, for that reason, there's reasons why maybe Scarface isn't that well known, the classic film that it is. Hmm. And that might be because it's not part of that WB roster. So it doesn't come up in like conversations of classic because United Artists basically doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. But when you watch it, like there's something undeniable at this movie. It's got enough in there that I think a modern audience can, a modern like film literate audience Mm. can get into it because like I've said before, anytime we delve back into the deep past on this podcast, Mm. I find it challenging. Yes. I find it really hard to stay focused and to like lose myself Mm. in an older film. That's why we're selective when we decide to yeah. go back all the way to the yeah. older ones. Even this movie I found challenging at first because it's it's all that language that we've just seen parodied so many times. Yes. The speaking patterns we've seen made fun of a lot on mm. The Simpsons and whatnot and all that. Exactly. Angels with filthy yeah, souls. Yeah, angels with filthy souls and all that shit. So it's like it is hard for me to rest into... Mm. Um, not viewing it semi-ironically or yeah. in a detached way. But I think this film, and maybe it's the Howard Hawks touch, has enough cool symbolism mm. and cool visual moments and funny moments yes. that you can actually <laughs> get into it and yes. go, oh, there's stuff here that I, as a modern audience, can appreciate. The X's, which I'm sure we'll talk mm-hmm. about, which is probably iconic, and there's a couple of really funny moments that I think have to be deliberate comedy oh, yeah. set pieces. There's some weird comedy set pieces in this movie that just like now when you watch it, you're so surprised by. Definitely. And also I would say that this is maybe because it's not Warner Brothers, it's not attached to a bigger studio. It gets away with a lot more. Like it's mm. very sexually explicit for mm. this era. It's very violent, and the suggestion of violence is very heavy in this film. Well, there's a, a strong plot in the remake mm-hmm. th- that it's a subtextual subplot is that Tony has potentially got some mm. inappropriate feelings for his sister that stem from like being protective and yep. being apart from her for a long time and stuff. I always assumed that's that was a De Palma touch. Because mm, it seems It creepo. feels like a De Palma touch. Yeah. But then when you watch this movie, it's like clear that De Palma saw it in this movie and mm. went, oh, well, I'll just elevate that a yeah. little more. <laughs> if anything, I was like, I might just decree, turn that down a little <laughs> it's, bit. It's in here. <laughs> it's in here. Shall we dive in? Yeah, let's dive in. From Hitman. That was a fine job, Tony. Remember, that's only chicken feet. You stepped in a big company. To gang boss. This is the story of Scarface Tony Carmonte, his lust for power, for fancy women. Don't work too hard. I just finish up tonight. Now I play a while. His drive to be number one. Next time I catch you in a place like that again, I'll check you. You're telling me what to do. What I do is tell it's my business. Starring Paul Muni as Scarface, and Vorak, George Raft, and Karen Morley. The crime scenes in this film 
are based on events that actually happened. Don't you know it's Valentine's Day? Amante, kill Ronaldo. Put up a fight when they tried to take him and hold up on that steel board of his. Get him. Scarface, 1932, directed by Howard Hawks. The rise and fall of a power-hungry mobster. A murderous thug shoots his way to the top of the mobs while trying to protect his sister from the criminal life. Mm. Interesting. Now, we mentioned at the start that this film is pre-code, but then was given like a government-mandated... Scroll at the start of the movie. Yes, like Star Wars, it's got a little <laughs> scroll to set up the world there for it's you. Got a scroll. I, I want to read it. It's yeah. pretty short, but it's it, so weird to see something like this in a film, right? So weird, and it took me. It, it made me laugh mm. when it came up. I yeah. kind of, I rolled my eyes and went, "God, the government sucks." Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. So the movie starts with uh, this this text. This picture is an indictment of gang rule in America and of the callous indifference of the government to this constantly increasing menace of our safety and our liberty. Every incident in this picture is the reproduction of an actual occurrence, Mm. and the purpose of this picture is to demand of the government, what are you going to do about it? The government is your government. What are you going to do about it? So funny that Mm. they were kind of forced to say... uh, Make sure people know this is not a celebration of gang culture mm-hmm. and gang life. And so they were like, okay, we will, but we will turn it on you in the process yes. and make it a fuck you to yeah. you, which I think is kind of funny and on the nose. I kind yeah. of enjoyed it. And especially because this movie is not that. This absolutely is a glamorization. It's such of a glamorization. Gangster, of the gangster lifestyle. It's cool. It's like the whole world is yours motif mm-hmm. is... Awesome. Yep. It's he's funny. He's cool. He's funny. He's cool. You see him grow as a character. Yeah. He gets get a couple of hot girlfriends. Gets, gets cool a, clothes. Got a hot sister. He's got the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. A couple of systems. Couple of them he's related to. <laughs> and also, it's like this this whole thing, like part of the Hayes Code or pre Hayes Code, really is like the gangster movie has to follow this map of its arise and mm. its fall. Mm. And so in this film. It's Scarface, as you know it. It is the ultimate, the rise and the fall movie. Yeah. Starting from the bottom as like a new American and then rising to the top and then your fall is immediate and immense. And the ending, should we talk about the ending a little bit at the top? Because there's an alternate ending. Is What do you mean? There's an alternate ending to this film. Yeah, from what sure. what we would have seen. Yeah, yeah. So they had to tack this on. Like we said, Howard Hughes and Howard Hawks like fought for like two years to get this movie released. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had to chuck on a new ending. And they don't even know... No one really knows who filmed it because it wasn't Howard Hawks. Hmm. They don't know who filmed this ending. Paul Mooney wasn't available for it, so he's not in it. But at the end of this movie, I mean, it's a fucking almost 100 years old, so spoilers, that Tony Camonti dies at the hands of the police. He's shot. He tries to escape. He's shot. And it's quite a cowardly death for this character. But that was not deemed enough. So he's captured by the police. And then there's like a two-minute sequence of him going to court being found guilty of racketeering and murder or what everything that you will have thrown at him and then he's hung and Paul Mooney's not around for it so you just see his hands <laughs> you just see his hands and stuff like that and it's just to like to really hammer home like this is bad but 
for a lot of it, they didn't put that ending in the reels that would go out. So lots of people, probably more people have seen the ending that we've watched wow. than this alternate tacked on ending. That's interesting. Yeah. That's so funny. I love that. Because there's a couple of scenes in this that I've read were like postcode editions. Mm. Like you need to add a few scenes with the cops yes. explaining why this is bad and yeah, stuff Exactly. Like and people talk about how they're scared of gangsters and stuff. Which is cool. I like... It's a good bit of film history, mm. I think, to see the the like way that art and censorship worked hand in yes. hand for a brief period there. Especially because it's art and it's like commodity as well, mm. like entertainment. Mm. Especially in these early days of film, I don't think they saw film as art. They just saw it as entertainment, yeah, as yeah. making exciting entertainment, especially in Hollywood. And it's only now that we look back and we put art, the label of art on it. Yeah, I mean, I personally don't. Okay, I don't yes. think film is art. I think only podcasts yeah. are capable of rising to that Because title. it's an intimate format. It's intimate. It's in your ears. No matter what podcatcher <laughs> you use, you can <laughs> access art. And it's of your choice. You get to pick the freaking art. What freaking art are you going to listen to? Is it going to be Total Reboot? Total Reboot or music like Jimi Hendrix or some shit. Yeah. That's art. Yeah, the only things I listened to on my Spotify interview wrap-up were Total Reboot and Pink Floyd the Ball. <laughs> and just there was one time I listened to three seconds of a Jimi Hendrix song. That's it. And I freaked out because it was too much for too me. Too cool, too hip and scary. <laughs> I thought the devil was whispering into my ear. I accidentally played it backwards and I got possessed by the devil. <laughs> and he made me not go to Vietnam War. <laughs> he made me against the Vietnam War and I was scared of it. Um, I, I got to say, and maybe it's just the film mm. nerd in me, but I got heaps excited when I first noticed the X motif in this mm. movie, mainly because I already knew it from The Departed. Yes, The Departed <laughs> which, has those X's. Which has stolen the exact same thing, mm. but I didn't realize that it had stolen it from this. Yeah. And so I was instantly like locked into fuck yeah film history yeah marty was stealing from this that's awesome it's so when you watch this movie it's so clear like what an immense impact it would have had on those young filmmakers seeing it in the cinema in like repertory screenings like your young de palmas your young coppolas your young scorseses like just going like this is exciting this is like gripping this is set on the streets that they grow up in Mm. it's got that really like even this film like has that kind of grimy quality that uh, a gangster movie would have and some like these earlier ones like the these early ones and earlier even like the silent pictures they have that quality of uh, this unique world of like this migrant diaspora Hmm. but some of them uh, even have like that feeling of this true version of the streets and stuff Hmm big feeling of like this is a whole world that we're looking into Mm -hmm. but if you watch some of them like they capture something like this like hot off the press type feeling right what do you think about this one this because to me this feels like a very you know planned structured and staged Mm. studio film yeah i would say this one is more in that line but it does have if anything, this is one of the most that's like that hot off the press feeling of like, this is a real story from the real world because it's Scarface, which mm. is the nickname of Al Capone who had a scar on his face. It wasn't as cool as this guy's scar though. No, Al Capone's is like under his chin. It makes yeah. him look fat. Yeah, <laughs> this guy, Paul Mooney's scar is literally an X on his cheek. It's hectic. And it looks awesome. And then it's sort of 
like gets reflected in those X's that appear anytime someone dies. Exactly. So it's like a cool thing for me, cool thing for him. Cool thing he's for He's excited the when he sees it, yeah. probably. He's like, hey, that thing hey. reminds me of my face. Oh, I'm seeing an X over there. That means I'm probably going to kill this guy. <laughs> and it's going to be extremely cool. Camera, look away for a second. <laughs> I like how the camera looks away. Mm, it's very cool, right? Yeah. But this screenplay is written by a few people, but the head writer is this guy called Ben Hecht, who was hectic. hectic. <laughs> he was hectic. He was like a journalist from Chicago mm. that wrote about the gangsters. And so it was him bringing this story with Howard Hughes. A columnist. Huh? Yeah, he's a columnist, like writing about the crime and stuff that was <laughs> going on. So it captures like this feeling of like that America had of like, there's these gangsters out there and it's Al Capone. And like even there's so much in this movie that's like Al Capone, which is yeah. like the St. Valentine's yeah. Day massacre is kind of recreated in this. It's the rise of Al Capone. And the other thing that Hecht brings to it is something that we've talked about heaps already is that he's like, I want this to be like the Borgias of Chicago. I want this to be like the Borgias of the streets. And the Borgias were this like powerful Italian family in like the, I think, Renaissance era maybe. Hmm. Um, but they were uh, involved in all facets. They were involved in politics. They were involved in the papal. And mm-hmm. they were incestuous. They were brothers and sisters that loved to fuck. Game of Thrones is based on them. So much shit is based on the Borgias. Even Godfather Part Three, in in a way, is based on the Borgias with its uh, with its papalness and mm. also brother uh, cousins cousin effing shit. it up. Yeah, cousins effing shit up together. Fuck yeah! To fuck a cousin is one of the great thrills in life. I reckon. <laughs> I've never done it, but I reckon it would be such a thrill. It would be such a taboo, but a, one that is not unforgivable, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, it would be fine. Yeah, of. it would be Eventually. really upsetting, but you yeah. know. You could forgive them and God could probably forgive you for it. But brother and sister? I think that's possibly a bridge too far. Possibly. You might be a little bit suspect, if yeah. you will. If I were to fuck a sister, then I think I would probably have to have a good, long, hard look at myself in the mirror and say, mm. you've gone too far this time. <laughs> you've actually messed some <laughs> shit up, dude. You've done something really weird. <laughs> what you did was weird, dude. It was with the cousin was already pretty far, but yes. now you've taken it to into the family home. Yes. Come on, dude. Come on. Wake man. up and smell the coffee. You're fucked, dude. <laughs> you're inbred, dude. You're inbred and you're fucked, dude. It's disgusting. <laughs> and this this movie is like all about that. Like it's about that corruption of everything. Yeah, sure. That's interesting. And it's extremely sexy. <laughs> well, I was wondering where that comes from. I'm glad to know mm. that's inspired by the Borgias because I didn't know that. Mm. And I was kind of thinking that it... That, they just pulled this <laughs> that out. That it was nowhere. racist. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of is. Because I was like, okay, this Italian mm. guy, migrant to America, yep. climbing the ladder in the crime world shooting at cops, you know, killing people, and also wants to fuck his sister. Yeah. Like, they're really laying on a bit thick that Italian people are not good here. <laughs> it was really... I started yeah. to think, this is racist. It might, I think it is, because Borgia's Italian. So, like, yeah. okay, that's what they used to do back there. They're doing it back here as well. <laughs> they brought that over on the boats, too. I wonder if that was one of the Hayes Code things. They're like, all right, we'll let you make this movie, but you've got to make him want to... <laughs> Get boned up for his sister. Yeah. You got to make this movie. Okay, you're allowed to get away with this stuff. Short. We can have you killing someone, but you have to make sure that people hate Italians after this movie and think they're <laughs> extremely weird. 
<laughs> did it? Did it have that impact? I think it would have. I mean, like, we still see it today. Like, mm. you know, it, this genre is tied to ethnic groups. Like, this genre sure. is, is, in this period especially, is tied to Italians that tried to uh, Jewish um, Jewish migrant groups. Now, this genre is tied up in all that there stuff. There are Irish in this. There are Irish. Like, all these are groups that are new to America. True, the Irish migrant. There's never just been, like, a... Um, Midwestern, I guess Fargo. Fargo's the Midwestern. Yeah. Uh, Fargo's Midwest mafia. Godfather. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of it. That's basically. I think that is right. Like that's it. Like yeah. it's not. It, you know, it, it's it's never really been a genre that's just like. You know, oh, it's just these guys. They're always like, I'm proud of my Irish heritage. I'm proud of my <laughs> yeah, Italian yeah, heritage. Yeah. It's mixed up in that. Yeah, we feel like we don't belong here mm. and we're fighting against the country. Yes. Interesting. And we want to fuck our sisters. Yes. And we want to be rich and famous and cool while we do it. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. I'm mm. into it. Shall we talk about Paul Mooney, the lead? Yeah. Now he's a Camonte. fantastic comedian from the <laughs> 19... 19- 70s through to today. Yeah, he's deeply beloved. He was on Chappelle's show. Yeah. And he used to do monologues on it. Yeah, he co-wrote a lot of Richard Pryor's stuff. Mm -hmm. Hates Whitey. Yes. Hates Whitey. He would actually hate that I'm a fan of him. Yeah, he would be upset about it. I love that. Yeah. He hates you and he hates Whitey Bulger, a famous gangster. Yeah, gangster played by Johnny Depp in the movie um, (laughs) White Christmas or something. Maybe Black Christmas. Uh, Maybe Black Black, Christmas. Black Massacre, White Massacre. White Massacre, Christmas Massacre. (laughs) I don't remember it. I've never seen it. I probably never will see it. I tragically did watch it. Yeah, and it's got a very forbidable title, like Black Christmas or something like that. Yeah, or maybe Black Massacre or something. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, Black Mass. It's called Black Mass. It's called Black Mass. Yes, it's called Black Mass. (laughs) We did it. We got there. Because of Black Massacre and also Black Massachusetts. Yeah. Is what I think it is. And Mass also Uh, religious stuff. Catholic Catholic stuff is often very much in the gangster films. Important in gangster things. Absolutely. Including this. Mm -hmm. But Paul Mooney is not just that comedian, he's a separate actor. He's also an old actor who's dead now. (laughs) Extremely dead now. Extremely dead. He tragically did pass away in the swinging sixties. Man, oh groovy baby, I'm gonna go up to heaven and act up there now. <laughs> he would have been so freaked out by the 60s, he was oh, in his God. 70s by that point. Yeah, he would have been there in God. Hollywood, being like, Good grief, this is a bridge too far. <laughs> and I'm a guy that tried to fuck my sister <laughs> on screen. <laughs> they should have frozen him and brought him back in the 90s to see if they, what he would get up to then. <laughs> they should have frozen him. Paul Mooney is... Uh, uh, he's great. I don't mm. know anything about him. I know a little bit about him. He's an him. Oscar winner. He's an Oscar winner because he played Louis Pasteur. Mm. Can you imagine a movie more boring than a movie about <laughs> the guy that invented pasteurized milk? No, I can't. So, but he, um, he's known, uh, his reputation is as a largely transformative actor. Sure. Like he would be a Glenn Close type. A Glenn Close type, a freaking Gary Oldman type, yeah. if you will. A Gary Sinise. A Gary Sinise, someone who could One escape the more transformative actors. Well, Gary Sinise, you're like, I'm walking around going, this guy's got no legs. And then you look back, you're like, hang on a second, he's walking around and this CSI TV And also, show. he transformed from movie star to TV star. And that is oft done, tragically. Yeah. <laughs> that is oft done. <laughs> Mandy Patinkin, in particular, I'm thinking about him. Yeah. Whenever I hear someone transform from movie star to TV star, mm-hmm. Mandy Patinkin comes to mind for me. Um, Kevin Spacey transformed from movie star to TV star to web series star. <laughs> yeah. A guy who drops one creepy <laughs> episode once a year. 
And what you want soon. <laughs> I can't wait. Let me be frank is going to be coming out with season three very soon. I'm sure of it. And it's a co-production between Kevin Spacey, probably some intern holding a camera and iMovie. <laughs> but um, he was a very transformative actor and he had like makeup skills as well. So he would do his own makeup often to like find these characters. Mm. And he became well known because his screen debut was at the age of 12 and he played an 80-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> and it was convincing, and it kind of like started him having with a career, basically. Wow! Oh, he was described um, as the new Lon Chaney mm. at the time because of his transformation skills. Yes, and Lon Chaney famously transformed into Wolfman. Yes, and actually, Lon Chaney Jr. Paul but... Nashi was called the Spanish Lon Chaney. Yes, yeah, so but that's to another thing. Don't worry about it. About that's Paul for Nashi. a completely other thing. We'll never talk about Paul Nashi on this podcast. No, I promise you that. <laughs> that's the <laughs> last time Paul Nashi's name will ever appear. I can't imagine time. we'll ever do any of Paul. Nash's movies on this podcast. <laughs> but we're not talking about Paul Nash, we're talking about Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney. And I will tell you this in Greek, Mooney means it means the rudest word for vagina. Really? Yes, Mooney. Interesting. And so Greek people really thought this guy was funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. But he's cool. Like I think he's fantastic in this movie. I, he, I like the evolution of his character. Like starting very much as like this brute, almost like a freaking animalistic like gorilla or something. Mm. The way that he holds himself, like hunches his head over and holds his body so strong, and like that he's got this kind of like brutish sense of humor about him. Mm. I think it's a magnificent performance. The way that he like begins as like this brutish guy then he slowly gets like a taste of elegance and he tries to transform into someone that would fit into the upper crust but it feels like a very shallow transformation mm. i think he's magnificent when was public enemy was that the year before year before so i haven't seen it i've seen mm-hmm. bits of it in, yeah. in the, the sopranos and stuff like yeah. that it's it pops up in things is um this performance of like the sarcastic wisecracking mm. um gangster is Cagney doing that in Public Enemy or is this a Paul Mooney like ism? It's different because Cagney is very fast. I would say the difference is like in their speed. Mm. Where Cagney is, they're both scary. They're both brutal. They're both little fellas. They're both little fellas, and I think Cagney. <sighs> And the difference is like they're both physical actors, mm. but Cagney's background was weirdly in dancing. Yep. And so he's like charismatic in a different way. He's physical in his like brashness and his kind of bouncy quality. Whereas Mooney is like he's still almost and he like feels very big. Mm. But he also yeah, he's he's still but facially, he's doing a lot. Mm. Like, he's kind of a lot of eye rolls and a lot yeah. of, like, smirking and yeah. stuff. It kind of... The people that were coming to mind for me when I was watching him, because you sort of can't help but compare older actors to modern mm. people when you don't know them. Yeah, Zac Efron. You, you, yeah, Efron, obviously, The Rock, <laughs> yeah. Kevin Hart. <laughs> yeah, all the modern greats. I'm like, he's kind of like them in some way. Well, you know, Colin Hanks, just anyone from uh, <laughs> yeah. the Jumanji franchise. We love the Jumanji franchise and we think about them every time we look at a movie. Well, like, he's a bit Jack Black, kind of. He's a bit funny. <laughs> no, I kept thinking... Um, well, Bogart came to mind mm. for a little while, and then I started thinking modern equivalents of what this guy's doing are um, 
uh, what's my my man Tommy Lee Jones? Mm, yes, I'm getting a Tommy Lee Jones vibe from him mm-hmm. in the like deadpan, but like high energy deadpan. Yes, and then also Clooney. Yes, I can see Clooney for sure. I'm getting a touch of Clooney because I think Clooney's very much a facial actor. He's got complete mm. control of his face, mm. and I think that's something that Paul Mooney does very well here. Yeah, it's it's very precise mm. in its um. Like like you said, I mean, he starts as a brute and then he tries to become elegant and then mm. he sort of becomes mad by the end. Yeah. But and you see that in little, yeah, I don't know, little like ticks on his face, mm. little smiles, the way these smirk changes. Yes. I mean, I thought it was a really great performance. Yeah. And I was expecting cheese, and I was, I was given a delicious. Uh, camembert. Yes, which is a cheese, but quite delicious. It's a nice one. It's a nice cheese, if you will. Yeah. I would also say that that it's that magnetic quality about him why the new Scarface even exists because people, actors of that method era, your Al Pacino's, your Robert De Niro's, this was a performance they were all drawn to. Mm. And Al Pacino rewatched this movie in the 70s and was like, I got to do that. I'm going to get me one do of those. With a different accent. <laughs> and I'm going to go bigger. I'm small too, but I'm going to go huge. I'm going to go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite thing he yeah. says in that movie. I'm okay. going to make a movie where I never close my mouth. <laughs> I really want to do that. Even when I'm not talking, my mouth's going to be open. Uh, remember that quote? Was it the De Palma quote mm. um, about Travolta that. Al and Travolta are the two mm. best male actors to watch move. Yeah, he says they just move cinematically. They move beautifully. Next week, I think we're going to be talking a lot about how uh, Al moves in Scarface mm. because it's like I can't stop doing it when yeah. I watch it. It's crazy. <laughs> I keep walking around like him and just moving my shoulders the I way I always he have does. my lips over my teeth like he does <laughs> in that movie. He's like, oh, I like that. <laughs> And but I think that like this, you can see this performance. Like, why would capture their attention? Yeah, like, why sure. would entrance them? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, is it true that um, De Niro wanted to do Scarface at some point as well? I think they all have wanted to do Scarface. Like, mm. there's, I think, because it is the epitome of that rise and fall, that American dream, and it's told in a way that I think is very true and honest of the migrant experience. In that there's that idea of wanting a better life mm. and his existence, he lives underneath this sign or he's across the road from this sign that says the world is yours. Mm. And it's this giant globe, it's this neon lights. And then underneath it, you like it's a message of hope for him. Mm. Uh, and that's how he reads it every day. He looks at it, but underneath it just says Cook's Tour. And yeah. so it's like an ad for a restaurant a, or something. It's a billboard. It's, it's, a an, billboard. it's an ad for like a... Um, in my head, it was an ad for a, like travel or something. It's the same as Ratatouille, basically. It's like <laughs> how, how Remy the rat looks up and he talks to the big old yeah, chef. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the same thing happens in the remake. Mm. He sees the world is yours on a Goodyear blimp or something. Yeah. And then that becomes his mantra and he gets it you know, put into his home yes. and stuff like that. And it's such a incredibly simple and relatable mm. thing. That idea of like feeling like shit and then just... Every day you look out and see a reminder that like, yeah. okay, I can be better. Like actually, the world could be mine. The symbols speak to you out there yeah. in the world. And, and th- when you want to see it, a symbol will fucking speak to you. Absolutely. You can, I can find meaning in anything. Okay, find a meaning in this. I'm pointing at my hand sanitizer. We're living in a me. pandemic. 
okay, fuck, you're actually good at this shit, dude. Yeah, dude. That is why you're one of the great storytellers. Yeah, I know, I know. I see these symbols Mm -hmm. and I interpret them in a very interesting and unique way. Okay, I'm pointing at this and that's a receipt that you've got on your table. Okay, story there is, um, okay, hope. Hanging on to the receipts, hanging on to the... The, uh, the clippings there maybe there's a deal on the back of it maybe i'll get to get a two-for-one coffee or something that doesn't sound like that's exactly what it is okay spend thirty dollars receive one free coffee valid until the 10th of january 2021 so wow. that is like saying hey i could maybe one day get a free coffee wow you should give the code out on the podcast okay first one to use this code. first one to use this <laughs> first one to use this code gets the coffee nine eight six nine one one three oh oh six five five eight oh seven oh 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 four nine nine two 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 seven one two two three three two 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 all the twos three two three two 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 carry the two and then you can use that at your local cafe no matter what one it is <laughs> say that number to them and they'll give you a free coffee if you spend thirty dollars first and you have to spend thirty dollars on almond croissants weirdly yes it's you've got to buy thirty bucks worth of almond croissants and you have to eat them in one sitting and the guy watches you while you do it and he films you and you're not allowed to ask it goes up on tiktok and it goes on their tiktok account <laughs> <laughs> and it's extremely cool and they've got a million hits and they'd be gonna be bullied worldwide for a guy that ate two three almond croissants and the cousin had a bad reaction in your belly but you do get a free coffee and the coffee will give you diarrhea unfortunately <laughs> after that much custard <laughs> oh, God. let's talk about those comedic moments okay because there are after we just performed a bit of comedy for you guys it's a great segue <laughs> to get into talking about them now there is a particular moment that comes to mind when I think of mm-hmm. comedy in this movie and I want to know if you're thinking of the same moment. Yes, probably. So I want you to tell me <laughs> what the moment is for you that comes to mind. So there is one of the members of their gang who has a much thicker and more comedic Italian accent mm-hmm. who's probably a bit sillier than I would say. If there was a character that I would compare him to in popular culture that would conjure an image in the audience's mind that I believe to be accurate, it would be Manuel from Faulty Towers. Sure. <laughs> and there's a scene where they're at a restaurant or a bar or something like that and it becomes, a sh- there's a shootout that takes place. There's a place. drive-by. There's a drive-by. But also in the meantime, this guy has to go do a phone call and he's on the phone to this guy and the whole time I was like, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. And he's so like, the whole restaurant's <laughs> being shot up with like, like loud Tommy yeah. guns, everything's being shot up around him, and mm-hmm. then this Manuel motherfucker is still on the phone trying to continue the conversation. Yes. He's getting bullets around him and stuff, and he eventually gets his gun out to defend himself, but then he actually starts talking to the gun and stuff. <laughs> I can't hear you, I can't hear you. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a fucking uh, Marx Brothers bit yeah. or something. I, I think can't believe like, it. The guy pulls it off for me. Like, yeah. it's just funny enough where it's like, this is so weird. It's but- fucking funny. It felt like, yeah, Marx Brothers <laughs> or um, Stooges comedy. Like, it felt so mm-hmm. out of place in this movie, but I, I still appreciated that it was there. At one point, the um, coffee percolator behind him gets shot. Yeah. And a stream of coffee start squirting out mm. of it and like hitting him while he's standing there and he's yeah. like getting burnt by the whole <laughs> coffee and going like ah ah and like moving out of the way of it and stuff. Yeah. It was like a full blown 
comedy set piece. It's like there was one second of a Jerry Lewis movie in this. Yeah, what like, the it's fuck? It's so weird. It wasn't very long. It was maybe like maybe three shots. But we just described so many elevations <laughs> of like the stakes of his phone call. <laughs> like we described he put a gun at, he's getting shot at, he's got coffee hot pouring hot <laughs> coffee coming onto his leg. He's got his gun out, he's talking to his gun. <laughs> and it's funny. Like it actually is funny. It was funny. And also the whole time Scarface is like yelling at him to help out yeah. with the shootout. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so I odd. liked it. I was really surprised because like and there's other funny mm. like there's smaller funny moments and funny lines yeah. in this, but that was like a pure bit of slapstick. Yeah, and then it's like has a callback towards the end of the movie, that character gets shot. And then you see him going to talk to the phone and answer the phone and he says, I can't hear you on the phone as he's dying. And it's like, it's kind of like a heartbreaking callback to the funniest joke in this movie. It's so odd, but I think it works. I think they kind of pull it off because it is like this weird tone that this movie strikes because there are funny moments. The dialogue's pretty funny. Mm. The characters are funny. But then there's like these incredible stakes because there's like gang wars that are happening. There's wars mm. against the police. One of my favorite uh, visual moments in this movie is when Tony is out at the club mm-hmm. with his boss and the boss's mistress. Yes. And she pulls a cigarette out. This is about halfway through the movie. Yes. So we're watching Tony climb. Yes. He's like towards reaching his ascent. Like he's getting close to taking over his boss. Very basically. close to like the top of his ascent. Yes. And um he's always been pretty flirty with the mistress. Mm-hmm. Inappropriately so, but because he's like an underling, the boss doesn't seem to care. Yeah. Um and she doesn't take it seriously either. She's like always rolling her eyes at him and being like, mm. oh yeah, okay, this the boss's little little monkey is um Yeah. Having a flirt with me again. And he sees him as a brute. I don't think he sees him as a challenger. Yeah, but this time he, you know, he shows up, he's wearing a beautiful suit. Mm-hmm. He's like got a touch of class yeah. about him. She pulls out a cigarette and Tony lights a match at the same time as his boss lights a lighter. Johnny Lover, yeah. Yeah, and they both hold it out for her. You know, he's got this shitty match. The other guy's got this like fantastic Zippo lighter, basically. Mm, it's hectic. And she has to choose who's going to light her cigarette, mm. and she chooses him with the match. Yeah. And that was like a fucking wonderful little bit of visual storytelling, yeah. in my opinion. Like, okay, I now am literally watching the passing of a torch. Yeah. I'm watching cucking happen. Yes, and we love that. In the most symbolic way. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm choosing this phallic imagery over your fancy one. Yeah. The simple one over your fancy one. And then they dance together while the boss watches them dance, and the boss and does he's this... jacking it. <laughs> the boss does this cool thing. I like. I don't know if you noticed mm. it, where he's watching them dance and he's angry while he's watching them. He picks up a salt shaker and holds it like a gun. Did you notice? No, I didn't that? notice that. He like picks it up the way you normally would pick up a salt shaker, but then he mm. turns it in his hands so that it becomes like a pistol. Oh wow! And he's kind of like just hold, sub like absent-mindedly holding it in this mm. way like it's a gun, like he's picturing killing Tony. Wow. It was very nuanced bit of fucking staging, I thought. Do you know who that actor is? Um, John Cazal. It's John Cazal. No, his name is Osgood Perkins, mm. and he is Anthony Perkins' papa. No shit. Anthony Perkins' Faja. Really? Yeah. Okay. You never hear the name Osgood anymore. Oh, really? It's, I hear, there's like five kids in my year five class called Osgood. 
Are you in year five? I'm in year five. What the fuck? And I shouldn't be hanging out with you. Yeah, I know. It's funny, though. It's I just cool. got you a beer from the fridge. Yeah, but, you know, I look up to you. You're like my big daddy. Oh, you no. Know, I come here. I have, have a few beers oh. after school. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get fucking arrested. <laughs> yeah, but it's cool. I won't dob you in. I promise. I'm not a rat. Okay, good. That guy was good. I was good. I liked him. Yeah, Oz good. Oz was good. Oz was good. That was what the review said at the time. <laughs> Oz was good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who else I think is great and actually kind of steals the show? Is the actor that plays like the second fiddle to Tony. His name is George Raft. Have you ever mm. heard of him? I've heard the name. He is deeply beloved, but he's this is like one of his bigger roles. He would then go on to to kind of parody this role um, <clears throat> in Some Like a Hot, where he plays the big gangster in that movie. Mm. And it's the same kind of thing where he's got the coin flipping going on. Right. He adopts like many of like the mannerisms of his character from this movie and parodies them like 20 <laughs> years later. But he's like a beloved actor. And I think there's something about him in this film where he's like kind of very quiet and soft compared to Tony. Mm. And I think that he, it's really, it is a star making role for him. But I think it's like he almost does steal the show because it is like this really quiet and nuanced performance. Plus, it's cool to watch a guy in a fedora flip a coin all the time. A gangster. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy's got a little tick. Yeah, he's cool. And he also wants to fuck Tony's sister. Now, so the. Analogous person for him in the De Palma one is the uh, the ca- the only character played by a Cuban in the yes. movie. <laughs> and, uh, that's the part that Travolta was up for. <gasps> wow, mm. I can see that. Which kind of makes you think: Wouldn't it have been cool if you know Scarface, mm. the eighties Scarface, was just about Italians and they just had Tony yeah. and Al, and they just said it in the thirties or something? Yeah, like again. <laughs> Al and John Travolta together. Wow. Yeah. That would be really exciting. Mm. And but, Robert Loggia, another Italian, um, another yeah, Italian actor yeah. playing Cuban. Yeah, yeah. Mary Stewart, Master Antonio, <laughs> believe she's Italian as well. Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer, I think she's supposed to be Italian. In this, I don't know. She movie. might be playing. She might be a white person playing Italian, which she also frowned upon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! No, I like that guy, George mm. Ra- George Raft. George Raft. I know the name. I just don't know why I know it. Was is he like famous for anything else? Well, some like a hot is very famous, but he would also. Um, he was one of those people that was just like an early movie star. And he was in gangster pictures. He became like a Warner Brothers player after this. Uh-huh. And he also, I believe, like had some ties to actual gangsters because those worlds of entertainment was like so indebted to... That's my. I love that that. shit. That's like my favorite thing about this era. It's like James Khan being friends with all those gangsters, making The Godfather and stuff. Yeah, so cool. And like, obviously, there's the character in The Godfather that's inspired by Mm. Sinatra. Yes, Al Martino. Yes, I have but one heart. Beautiful. Love him. Love those pipes on you. Thank you. you. I've never sang. I'm scared. That was beautiful. (laughs) Um, you should do a solo in the school. (laughs) (laughs) School production. Yeah, I'm gonna actually give you a solo i'll speak to your teacher i'll talk to the osgoods and see if we can do a little troop (laughs) together so yeah sinatra's whole thing was that he allegedly had crime Mm. connections through his dad his dad's um bar yeah and they helped push him up the entertainment industry ladder and one of my favorite bits of um prohibition era entertainment trivia 
is that stand-up comedy was born out of Prohibition. Yeah. Um, because they were small backroom bars, mm-hmm. and so they couldn't fit a full band in there to do entertainment. So it was often a piano player um, or and a singer or just some like guy's funny cousin wow. who would get up and just like make fun of people and yeah. stuff. And that kind of led to like when alcohol became legal again, the Copa yeah. and all those kind of places would continue the tradition of having a comedian, but it all started in like backroom wow. mafia places. And that's why like it's always Don Rickles like roasting mob bosses because yeah. that's what comedy was. That's why they get freaking... what's it, Who plays him in The Irishman? Um, Jim Norton. When Jim Norton plays Don Rickles. That's yeah. maybe my favourite five seconds of any film. It's so good. <laughs> so good. It's so such a nice uh, little touch there mm. to have him, Norton, who's like a modern roast guy. Yeah, God. <laughs> I loved I, it. Yeah, I would I love, love to shit. make fun of some gangsters one day. I dream about it. Yeah. I dream about it. They I, probably hate stand-up. Um, yeah, probably, probably. Because they know they're going to cop it from us. Because we're fearless. (laughs) Fearless, dude. I'll make fun of you. I'll say that you're a rat. Oh, you're a gangster. You probably like to fuck your sister or something. Yeah, I'd say that. And then I'd get absolutely fucking shot to absolute shit after the show. They'll get their Tommy guns out. And I'll go, oh, fuck, please don't. And they'll just go... And I'm just there trying to answer a phone. (laughs) Just trying to go, I can't can't hear you. Camera's being shot. Camera's being shot and I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. No, I I know the name George Raft. Who who's the um who's the gal in this? Poppy, Karen Morley. Karen Morley, yes. Man, every film star looked so cool back then. Yeah. They were all just fucking like they were all matinee idols, yeah. weren't they? Those oh Boris Karloff's in this? Who does he play? Boris Karloff plays a character called Tom Gaffney. In oh, this. wow. I didn't even notice what him. What the fuck? I didn't notice him either. Was he the guy with all that bandages around him? Yeah. Walking around with his arms the held guy forward? with the bolts through his neck? <laughs> oh, I think I remember him. That's bizarre. I didn't even know that. Mm. And also, you know, Howard Hawks had a cameo in this movie. Of course. He's the director. On bed. Wow, we love that man. We love that bed. Yeah. But also, it's, this is one of Howard Hawks' classic films. And I think mm. that he is one of those directors, along with like a George Cukor and Ernst Lubitsch, who we talked about last week on the podcast, who you kind of can go back and watch them because him and like a Michael Cotiz are like those filmmakers that we do go back to and apply that terminology of like art onto them Mm. because there was something about their films. They are expertly crafted. There's incredible acting to them. There's a pace to them that's a bit more modern, a bit more substantial, but they are also usually for the most part are social commentary movies of some kind. Like they do have, uh, they do have a depth to them. There is a meaning to them. And I think that Howard Hawks is always someone you can kind of go back to and check out like the big five or six classics that he's made. I mean, I don't think I've seen any of them. I believe he did His Girl Friday as well. Sure. And that's uh, the front page. The front page. Yeah. But with gender involved. Oh, cool, dude. Mm -hmm. I've seen The Thing from Another World, obviously. I should... Okay, that's going to be something that I'm going to decide to do over Mm -hmm. the next little while. I'm going to... Because I really did enjoy this movie. I didn't expect to. Yes. I'm going to watch... I'm going to watch uh, The Big Sleep. Yes. Oh, I would love to actually do that on this podcast. Yeah, I would love to watch The Big Sleep. If we do a little bit of a Raymond Chandler type thing one day. <sighs> now you're 
speaking my linguine. Could I be any more excited about talking about Chandler, yeah. comma, Raymond? <laughs> and that's the name of the miniseries we'll do. <laughs> comma, Raymond? In brackets, everybody loves him? We'll do The Big Sleep and The Big Lebowski as a mm-hmm. rip-off. Or I would say The Long Goodbye. And the, other the long goodbye, the long goodbye remake, and the long kiss goodnight. Oh, the, uh, Shane Black. Hectic. That's a great four movie little thing that we've just done there. That's fun. Um, I'm gonna watch Gentlemen Prefer Blondes because I've never seen mm-hmm. that, and Rio Bravo. Yes. Not Aloeste de Rio, Bra- Rio Bravo, whatever it was called. Rio Grande. Rio that's Grande. actually another podcast. It's a Peliculus, which means film in Spanish. I've always wanted to see Rio Bravo because that's mm. the one with Dean Martin and Ricky yeah. Nelson and stuff. And I've, yeah, I've been wanting to watch that for a long time. Isn't that a Howard Hawks remake of his own movie? <laughs> Is it? I think there's like a thing where he remade his own movie. And both of them have John Wayne in it. Too many of those guys did that back yeah. in the day. Like They're fucking still Hitchcock like five years later. Yeah, yeah, Hitchcock did it. That's like, insane. like, well, I'm in America now, so I want to make my English movie again. Yeah, what the fuck? Have some respect. That's yes. like if we remade this podcast, but it was just called Total re- Remake. <laughs> Total Remake, dude. <laughs> and we're going to do it next week. We're going to do this full episode again, but it's going to be the 80s. I promise you that. I'm so excited to talk about Brian De Palma's Scarface. Me too. It is our last main episode of the year. We might chuck some yeah. other things up in the It's feed. our last main. It's our last main, dude. And we're talking about the biggest main of them all, Mr. Scarface, <laughs> Tony Montana. <laughs> but this is a great way for to close up our year because we've, yeah. been, we've really fallen deeply in love with Brian De Palma's filmmaking. Mm-hmm. This year, in a weird way, has been a celebration of Brian De Palma as the greatest grub cinema has ever produced. <laughs> and... What way to close it out than his biggest movie ever? Yeah, that's true. The film has lasted this the longest in the popular culture. Yeah, it's inspired the artwork of a Helen Mirren film. Yeah, the the classic poster would go on to inspire a movie called Secrets or something with yeah. Ian McKellen and Helen Mirren. people, yeah. something. And it's the same poster as Scarface, black yeah. and white. Very excited to talk about that. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to watch it again. Yes. I can't wait. It will probably be a seven-hour episode, so I can't wait to do it. Yeah. We're going to release it over six weeks. Yeah. And we, we should probably get a guest on. But we'll yes. talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. Um, but if you want to hear more from us, head on over to Finding Desperado. The whole series has come out on the day that we are recording this, and we're so happy with it. We uh, appreciate everyone that's coming on the ride with us. But now, if you have not... This is the best time. Just start binging it. Listen binge to the whole it. thing. Binge it. Download the app, binge, bin, and binge Finding Desperado. Sep- it's two separate two things. Separate things. <laughs> two separate things. But download the ABC Listen app if you want to listen to ABC. Imagine doing that. <laughs> <laughs> listen to it on Do Apple Do they actually Podcasts. have an app? There's an app. There's an app, the ABC Listen app. I didn't even know that. I've got it. <laughs> oh my god! He's finding Desperado at the end says, "Listen to the ABC Listen app." I'm like, "Okay, must I obey?" <laughs> I've never look. Yeah, do that if you want, or listen just to use it on Spotify, Spotify and Apple, Pod, Apple Pods, whatever podcatcher you choose to use. We, it's probably on the podcatcher you're using to listen to this freaking podcast. It so click is. the hyperlinks and listen to that thing, bub. Yeah. Or listen to links, it, Bob. or Google it and listen to it on the ABC website. Just or, sit at your computer yeah. listening to it, or just download Binge. Download it separate, dude. It's, it's a all, totally it's a separate, separate thing. app, but it's, just do it. Just do it. You love this content, shit. <laughs>
<laughs> but the whole series is out right now, so listen to it. You can tell we're celebrating right now. So, um, And if you want to hear more from me, you can head on over to The Big Film Buffet, which is the Netflix podcast that I host with Susie Youssef. We talk about the freaking Netflix movies that come out. Mank will be out there. So if you love us saying yeah, Mank... Mank. You can hear us saying mank, dude, a few times. <laughs> uh, if you want more from me, I do stand-up comedy. So follow me on Instagram. I am Cameron James. And uh, on Twitter, same thing. And mm-hmm. I put up my dates there. So come watch me do stand-up. You'll be able to see him in the back room of a gangster's bazaar anytime yeah, you again, want. shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> in a little grotto trying to answer a phone call getting shot to pieces. <laughs> uh, but next week we're going to talk about the new... Sc- the, the new... Sc- this movie from 40 years ago. <laughs> and then in the meantime, you can head over to patreon.com slash total reboot to fight, to pay fight, <laughs> to subscribe for just five bucks a month to get bonus content from us every couple of weeks. Yeah. We talk about movies, actors, all that kind of business. So we're going to chuck some cool stuff up during the little holiday period. Cause we will be taking a break cause we've been working to the freaking bone. Yeah. And the bone is cool. <laughs> 